Welcome to Nourish by Spinneys, the podcast which promises to inspire you to eat well and live well. I'm Tiffany Eslick. And I'm Devina Devecha. This is a space where we hope to nourish your heart and soul. On this show, we chat with leading players in the food community, from farmers to foodies, as well as health and well-being experts. It's all about engaging conversations, fresh ideas, and fun destinations. Absolument, which is my way of saying that we're bringing you this episode from Lyon with one of our cheesemonger friends, Francois Robin. Francois grew up on a goat farm near Tours and graduated in 2008 from the French Cheesemonger School in Paris. Since then, he has managed the cheese department at Fouchon, the Parisian luxury grocer, and he now travels the world to promote French cheeses around the world, including Dubai at events like Taste of Dubai. He also teaches at French Cheesemonger schools and is the author of Le Fromage Poulet Nul. That translates to cheese for dummies which is great. Uh, and when we talk about French cheese, what types of cheese are we referring to beyond the ones we might already know about? So Comté and Gruyère. Well, there's also Reblochon, which we'll talk about quite a bit. Comté, which you mentioned, is the number one cheese in France if you go by tonnage. There's also Beaufort, my mother's favorite and one of my favorites. Uh, Mont d'Or, another of my personal favorites. Um, but really, there are so many. Um, in fact, Francois told me that he's tasted over 1,500 cheeses so far, and he's far from done. That is a lot of cheese. Well, I'm a cheesemonger for more than 10 years, 15 years. So it's like 100 new, che uh, 100 new cheese per year. That's not a lot. That's not a lot. But I mean, that's half the number of cheeses that you think... Kind of exist in France, but you think there's more, right? Yeah, 3, I think that I think there are more uh, according to the way you count it. Mm -hmm. uh, but I'm working actually on the database of all the French cheeses as far as I can go, uh, even if it's um, bottomless pit. You know, it it will never end. Okay. <laughs> but um, yes, there are a lot of cheeses. We uh, we can say that we are one of the most productive cheeses uh, country in the world. Yeah. One of the most, if not the most. So you'd been in Lyon a few days when you recorded with him? Yes, uh, I actually had been in France for five days at that point. Okay. Um, we'd visited the Franche-Comté mountains, done a lot of cheese tastings, including an awesome blind tasting competition. Right. How was that? It was incredible because we were in like the basement in one of these huge cavernous spaces under in Fort de Russe, which used to be a fort owned by Napoleon uh, or built by Napoleon. Um, and so you had this like drip, drip, drip of the water outside, these crazy smells of ammonia as soon as anyone opened the door and everything was like really dark around us. Um, and we ate a lot of cheese. That sounds pretty intense, but also atmospheric. Mm. Um, I believe you had a few different fun environments to record in as well. Yes. Yeah, so I tried recording Francois multiple times on this trip. Okay. But um, first of all, Chirag was crazy to trust that I would actually be able to do a podcast without him, okay. our producer. Uh, so like the mics wouldn't work in the Fort de Russe, which was super irritating. So then at the end, anyways, we tried multiple times. Once on a bus, didn't work. So we ended up in this our own cave okay. <laughs> um, underneath a boulangerie, which was next to a cheese shop that we were visiting on the last day in Lyon. And 
it was like right near the bathroom doors and but it was the only space that was quiet and that I thought you know I looked for something that didn't have like super high ceilings but then people kept coming downstairs to this basement bathroom and interrupting us so I mean it was probably the most hilarious looking situation in filming a podcast but it worked kind of yeah I it was interesting to listen to the audio back because I couldn't really hear you I know. I mean, that wireless converter thing was showing me that both mics were recording, but it wasn't. And we've tried everything to extract it from those things. It doesn't work. So sorry, guys. If I sound a little bit distant and like I'm in a cave, it's because it you didn't are? work. I am. <laughs> yeah. So one of the things um, that Francois told me while we were in our little cave is about the prestigious Meilleur Ouvrier de France competition, which is a tradition that started in France in 1924. And it happens every four years where a new title is given to the best craftsmen of their craft in the country. So you'll have like cheesemongers, uh, different types of artisans. You could have someone who does um, wood craftsmanship, you know, that sort of thing. It's amazing. Yeah. It really creeps, uh, keeps trade alive. I'm a cheesemonger. I'm a regular cheesemonger, so my passion is cheese. And yes, I get a certain level of expertise as many cheesemongers, but I've been through a contest, a contest named Meilleur Ouvrier de France. Um, I achieved that in 2011. It's a contest every four years, and you got to go through qualifications, semi-final, finals. It takes you two years to prepare. It's a long, long process. And um, Chismonberger can become Meilleur Ouvrier de France, that is to say, best craftsman in France. But also, of course, chef, you know that, pastry chef, carpenter, masons, 250 jobs are um, allowed to have this high qualification handcraft related job. So yes, it's a bit special, even if it doesn't mean I'm the best. It's one of the best, by the way. Un des meilleurs ouvriers de France. Because uh, you're the best on the day of the qualification and the rest of your life, you're one of the best among them. That's the highest degree I got in my life. <laughs> and it allows me to teach in my... Um, I could teach in university and things like that because it shows that I got a good level of knowledge. What's the craziest thing you've done in this journey of cheese? Like, have, you know, you on YouTube, some major YouTube yeah. star? Um... When I started this job, I just wanted to 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 sell cheeses in the in the store, and then I got the muff, and I speak English, so uh, I've been lucky enough and working hard as well. But to to be the go-to guy, cheesemonger. Uh, when it comes to talk about French cheeses, cheeses around the world. So I had the chance to travel to Australia, to Southeast Asia, to India, um, North America, Europe. Uh, that's crazy by, by itself. Um, but one day, I remember it was four years ago, uh, I, I did a, a cheese buffet in New York. <laughs> I did a cheese buffet in New York. And the day after, I did another cheese buffet in Shanghai, China. That is to say, I flew overnight, land, make the cheese buffet, and that's it. In, in like in 30 hours, two cheese buffet in New York and Shanghai. So that's crazy. The other crazy and stupid and fun thing is that we've done together with a YouTuber, uh, a pizza chef, and a lot of cheesemonger friends of mine, like Pierre Gay. Um, we've beaten a useless record of how many cheeses, uh, how many French cheeses we can put on a regular size pizza, 30 centimeters. Mm -hmm. And the number is 834. Did you eat the pizza? I tasted. Yeah. 
um, eatable because each bite you got something like 30 or 40 different cheeses. But that was to show that we have uh, a lot of cheeses and even more than what we thought at this time. Yeah, absolutely. And why is French cheese so good? I mean, it comes down to the quality of the milk and the terroir. But yeah, can you, can you tell me why? What are the characteristics of, that make the cheese so good? You cannot turn a, a, a bad French car into a Ferrari. <laughs> uh, you cannot turn bad milk into good cheese. It's not possible. It all comes from the composition of the milk. Um, and the compo composition of the milk results of this, a thin interaction in a triangle. And each side of the triangle are environment. Mm -hmm. They to say what kind of soil, the climate, altitude, the grass. Another side of the triangle is the animals. Mm -hmm. What's the genetic? Are they good in that place? Are they mountain cows or not? And what are they fed with? And the, the last um, side is human. That is to say, what we're doing with the cows, how you feed them, how you take care of them. If there's a thin interaction in that triangle, you got good milk. And then, maybe, if the cheesemaker is good, you have good cheese. And maybe if the cheese affineur, the person that age mm -hmm. slash ripe the cheese, is good enough, there will be good aged cheese. It's no, it's a process that is really long and you need a lot, lot of knowledge and tradition and passion because it takes at least, takes at least 20 years to establish a production. When you start a new cheese, you need at least one generation to master it. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. anyone wanting to get into it now, I mean, they've got to put in at least 20 years ahead yeah. of them. Yeah. 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 The, the result at the beginning will be good, but uh, it changes every day. Uh, it's like you got uh, to adjust to the morning milking, the, the evening milking, the season, yeah. things like that. In Roblochon, it was obvious. She, she, she told us a lot about that. And um, there's a saying. I love this one. Uh, it's easy to make cheese, but it's difficult to make good cheese. Yeah. And it's super difficult to know why the cheese was good. Yeah, true, actually. Yeah. yeah. And then with your the triangle for the terroir, mm -hmm. you've also got like protecting that sort of the tradition and, and the environment. You've got PDO. Yeah. So can you explain what that is, like what it stands for and what those controls are? PDO uh, are rules that protect this triangle, this interaction. So there are rules that are written and that are uh, applicable all over Europe, European Union, um, that prevent French to do feta because it's a Greek cheese and Greek tradition, but also uh, prevent the Greek to make Roquefort or Comté because they don't know how to do it. They could imitate, but it's better if it's made where it comes from because it comes from a triangle and an environment with using cows or goat or sheep or whatever. So that production is... Um, the, the, the PDO is protecting the, this triangle. And when you go into a PDO, you have to follow the rules. I mean, you, you can be, you can, for example, there are temperatures where you, you can put the rennet in the milk. It's, let's say, from 30 to 35 or 37. So you can choose. Yeah. And that's one parameter at the beginning. 
So all the rules are like, uh, okay, left and right limits, and you can go in the middle to express yourself. But it's good because it's protected. It's protecting um, a tradition, uh, a place, and um, uh, it's it's not a patriotic thing uh, or nationalist. It's just this is a birthplace of of Comte, of Beaufort, of uh, Fond d'Ambert or, or whatever. So we got to protect that. When we come back, Francois shares some incredible tips, the best ways to pair Conte, how to prep a cheese board to wow your dinner party, and the legend behind Reblochon cheese. All of that right after this short break. We wanted to take a minute to tell you about our delicious Spinney's Food olive oil, which comes from the 120-year-old Basso family farms in Italy, which is now a fifth-generation business. Davina, if you remember my masterclass with Matthew Jones of Bread Ahead, this is the olive oil we use to make the focaccia. I remember that. It was delicious. Yes, and part of the reason for that is their use of the Arbequino olive grown in Italy. Here's Federico Basso. The Arbequino olive is usually used in blends because it's very sweet and it has that almond taste, which is very different from the typical strong Italian olive oils that we have. So we use it in blend in order to provide our customers with a product that is uh, as balanced as possible. So it's not too aggressive, but it's also not too plain. We want to find the perfect match in order to satisfy our clients, also in terms of uh, organolectic features of our products. Here's a fun fact. Federico's father, Sabino, eats extra virgin olive oil and bread every morning for breakfast, sometimes with a spoonful of sugar. And didn't you say that he's run many marathons? Clearly, that's the trick. We sourced their extra virgin olive oil, a truffle-infused evu, and a signature Mediterranean blended oil as well. So you should definitely grab a bottle of Spinney's Food olive oil the next time you're in store and tell us what you think. Welcome back to my conversation with Francois Robin. Before the break, we got into the importance of protecting the origins of cheese through PDO designation, the protected designation of origin. So what does that mean in this case, to have the cheese certified? Um, as say Conte, it has to come from a specific place? Exactly. Okay. So for Conte, the whole process has to happen within that in a 25-kilometer radius. So if you think about it, to make cheese, you're essentially working with basic ingredients, right? So milk from cows, goat or sheep, some starter culture, some rennet, and some salt. So the factor that changes things really is the environment. So it's like champagne then, where it has to come from that specific area, but obviously you can have sparkling beverages, but those will not be within the region of champagne. Exactly. Okay. And then within these products with PDO or the areas, there's lots of different people involved. So you could have someone who's milking their own cows, who has their own herd, milking them, making their own cheese, and then like selling it direct to small stores or to the market. But then you also might just get just the cheese affineur, like someone who's aging the cheese. And, you know, you meet all these fabulous characters wherever you go in France and whoever's involved in cheese always has a great story to tell. Um, and so like that 
that crazy fort I was talking about, yeah. Napoleon's fort. So that has actually been bought by Jean-Charles Arnaud. And he and his son run this. And so there's over like 200,000 wheels of Conte in this fort. So he completely has renovated all the underground caves. There's areas where you see like gunpowder still from when Napoleon was there, when they used to store gunpowder. They splashed all over the walls. So he's turned it into this, as Francois calls it, a cheese cathedral. Um, and he's really scaled up Conte there, which it's impressive to see. But then you're obviously getting smaller producers as well. That is some great history um what else how many hours do you have <laughs> okay uh, let's simplify but um it's the best pdo in france in a way uh, because the the rules uh, are super complex and strong uh, to prevent um, any bad making of uh, any bad cheese making so it's really really a pdo i like because the structure is profitable for everyone. And it's a cheese that everybody knows now in France. It was not the case 40 years ago, but now everybody has a piece of Conte in this fridge, uh, whatever age is six months or 36 months, uh, because you all, all the family like it and can like it. And they're also working, so the, the cows are two special breed. They need 13,000 square meters, per cow to feed year long. They must be outside as soon as it is possible. Uh, they must, uh, you cannot milk them with robots. Uh, the, the milk must be stored between eight and 16, 16 degrees. That means the life is starting. The, the milk is collected every day back to the dairy. Uh, it must be copper vats. There are a lot of specifications. The, the, the list is too long for me to uh to to tell you that but the triangle is perfectly protected and uh also there are this kind of place that are quite mystical in a way that's well you're in the cheese cathedral the, the guy jean-charles Jean Arnaud, Jean yeah when he was young uh, for commandos so quite a good level and uh in 96 he bought the place uh well he didn't have the money he went to the bank and say okay i want to 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 uh, to age cheese here his father said you're crazy and uh, <laughs> and uh, he is crazy he's crazy the guy is um, like making a, a chef d'oeuvre but he say a masterpiece masterpiece of lifetime yeah absolutely mm -hmm. i've never seen anything like that and uh, in this place the, the cheeses are flipped weekly uh brushed taken care of judged and they, they say, okay, this one can be pushed a little bit more. My customer want this kind of taste. I will give it to him. So it's like, oh, every time I, I feel a bit emotional when I go there. Yes, I noticed that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A cheese fanboy when you're in there. Well, my, my roots are farm. My, my dad was a farmer making goat cheese. So yeah. when I see such characters, I'm, I feel connected to, to where I come from. Yeah. And that's the only reason, by the way, um, I'm happy to travel the world because it's a bit crazy for a cheesemonger, but it's also my way to support the cheesemaker, the farmers, yeah. um, and to give them back because I give them a, a voice, uh, in a sense. How do you eat Conte? You can eat it like that, for sure. Uh, I love to pair it with a little bit of black garlic. Mm -hmm. I love to uh, make a kind of black truffle uh, together with Conte in a roll with a young Conte, a bit of black truffle, you roll it and you keep it in the fridge for two, three days and then it will infuse the, the cheese itself and it's really good. It's it's a recipe I, I had in Fauchon together with a bit of mascarpone. Um, let's say that the third one will be lollipop. Mm -hmm. 
Okay. I love to to have a, like um, a choice of uh, topping, mm -hmm. like crushed nuts, pistachios, things like that. Okay. And you use pomegranate molasse or date syrup to dip your conte, and then the topping like pistachios, nuts, and things like that. Like, whoop, let's go, let's crunch. It's a snack. That sounded amazing. I love the idea of the black truffle with the conte. Mm, and the black garlic paste as well that he did was really good and quite difficult to guess, actually. Okay. Um, one of my favorite ways to eat conte is a, like a giant mouse that just goes and attacks the, the block <laughs> of cheese and takes off chunks. Uh, yeah, that also works. Mm -hmm. um, but what other cheeses did you talk about? So we also talked about Beaufort. And this is a super interesting cheese. Well, I, I mean, I find it interesting because I'm a cheese yeah. geek. But you get summer Beaufort and then winter Beaufort. Because in the summer, the cows are up in the mountains munching on these wonderful flowers. And it gives the milk and then the cheese essentially great flavor. It also gets like a sort of a deeper color, like it's more yellow. Um, and winter, it's it's lighter. It's not so fruity, not so rich, um, but it's still creamy and still excellent. But if you have the chance to eat summer Beaufort, do it in life. That's some really good cheese knowledge there, Tiff. Oh, I can keep going. <laughs> um, I've spent so much time with Francois over the last five years that it's hard not to absorb all his knowledge. So that means you'll have some nuggets about our next cheese, Roblochon? Absolutely. And you get two kinds of Roblochon as well. So you get, um, and you can tell the difference between by the color of the disc that is kind of embedded onto the top of them. Okay. So you get a red disc Roblochon, which means that sort of more commercial dairies um, have been involved in the making of that. While the farmhouse ones, which really you should go for, um, have a green stamp. Um, and we went to visit this couple that live at cheapest I don't even know what altitude like I'll, I was wondering if our bus was going to make it to the top um and I've actually met this couple before f five years ago when I first met up with Francois in France and they were in their 20s and I just remember them saying that they only take Sunday evenings off otherwise they and they're wow. a great example of owning the whole process so right. they have this herd of cows, I think they have like 12 or 15, right living in a barn right next to their house. Then they're hand-making Reblochon every single day except Sunday evening, milking the cows. I mean, it's crazy. Like their work ethic was amazing. Um, so yeah, really, really impressive. It just shows like you have this like romantic idea of cheese making, you know, and actually it is so much work. Um so yeah, I wouldn't just say go off and try making cheese. It's quite difficult. Yeah, that definitely sounds like a lot of hard work, but it's such a fascinating process. Uh, and it sounds like a great experience. Uh, did you actually get to try the cheese? Absolutely. Uh, or absolument, should I keep saying. <laughs> <laughs> I get to be like pretentious in French on this episode. Um, yes, and... I've eaten it quite a few times. You might have even tried it as well on tartiflette. Yeah. Um, you know, so potatoes with melted cheese on top. Great for apres-ski. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's one of my favorite dishes. I mean, you can't go wrong with potatoes and cheese, really. So Exactly. <laughs> um, and did you know that the legend of Reblochon actually began in the Middle Ages? Uh, the story is part legend, part, part true. But uh, at one point in Middle Ages, Moyen-Age, uh, so... Uh, the people were not paying taxes but with money, but with, uh, I don't know what, uh, some uh, hay, some flour, some uh, cheese. And uh, in this region, there were tax officers, they were coming on one day and to, to have an idea of the volume of milk produced in a farm. And so they put taxes according to, to that volume. Uh, the people from Haute-Savoie, the, the department from Savoy, they, they were milking 
the cows, but not totally to the end, keeping a little bit of milk inside, waiting for the guys to go away and then finish the milking. That is to say, uh, double milking, re, yeah. re, like a repeat, yeah. a blochon, which is bloch, which is the local word for milking. Yeah, and doing so, they had a small quantity of, of milk, but super fat because the fat is going up. In the, in the milk. So you have the fat at the end of the milking. So they could do that creamy cheese, uh, but in small quantity, taking the name of Roblochon. Tell me about Roblochon, like, why do you like it? Roblochon is, is a go-to cheese because it's creamy, it's runny, uh, it smells a little bit of a cow, but not that much. So uh, everybody can like it. Uh, you can push it a little bit more in a affinage. I I prefer that, but it's also quite affordable and not too not too expensive. And the people, a lot of people, are eating roblochon in a specific recipe named tartiflette. Uh, yeah, the potatoes and onions and melted uh, melted roblochon on the top. Um, uh, so um, the reputation is coming mostly from that recipe that has been developed when the, the ski station started between 70s and 80s. Um, but now today it's maybe a little bit too much yeah. because most of the Roblochon is sold during the winter um, and the best Roblochon are in spring and summer because the, the, the cows are grazing outside. So if any one of you hear that, <laughs> my message is go for the Roblochon in spring and summer. Yeah. It's really better and you respect also the, the, the work of uh, the people that are making it, as you were saying. Yeah. Um, they have they don't make Roblochon only on Sunday evening. It's their their day off. Oh but they got to milk still. Yeah. I hope they do something extra special on a Sunday evening. Like watch, I don't know, get a chance to watch and <sighs> Because that couple, I'm, I'm yeah. so impressed by them. It's yeah. unbelievable what they're doing. Uh, I think making milk is um, the second hardest job in agriculture. The first being growing vegetables, you know, yeah. and fruits. Because it's, wow, it's yeah. a lot of hard labor, but the second more um, difficult would certainly be, be in dairy industry. Let's talk about some cutting and yeah. where you're putting together a cheese board. So we mm. spent some time at Pierre Gay's yeah. beautiful fromagerie um, in Annecy mm -hmm. and we saw um, how you can cut cheese in the most spectacular way using, you know, like cookie cutters and the way you use the liar and, you know, that's some that we made a board that looked like, you know, so I don't know, like something out of, like it looked like stars and the moon and all sorts of things. But what can the home cook do? What, what tools do you need to make a relatively impressive cheese board at home? The, you may use really thin cheese, uh, cheese cutting knives. Uh, the big one, the large one will um, maybe crush the cheese. It's better to use really thin tools like a wire, uh, the lira that you can use for the foie gras, for example, nobody knows how to do that. It's perfect for cheese. Respect the cheese and you, you don't break it. It's really great. Uh, if I may give tips uh, on how to cut cheeses, there's only one rule to be remind, uh, to be remembered is 
try to cut the cheese so everybody got a little bit of the rind and a little bit of the hurt of the cheese so if you have a round cheese it's better to do like camembert type uh, in the sun you know or coming from the middle yeah. making triangle to the outside um, try not to 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 leave the rind for the la the last guest yeah. and if you want to make an impressive uh, cheese cutting um, it's better to cut the cheese in the middle and then each part in the middle and then each part of the middle so you are really regular in your cutting and so you can do a lot of shapes the rest is just arranging the the, the cheeses also if you want to make cheese platters don't cut the cheeses that are too runny okay. it will run all over yeah. <laughs> and you're, it, it will be uh, like a swimming pool of cheese but not a cheese platter how long should you take your cheeses out of the fridge before you start to cut? Uh, I love to put my cheeses out of the fridge like 20 to 30 minutes okay. uh, before. So they stay in good temperature, a bit fresh, like you say, 18 degrees, uh, chambre, as we say. So you still have some freshness in the mouth. Um, people used to say that you put your Comté, for example, two hours before. If you do that, you will, you will have a, a kind of oily surface and oxidated. It's not good. Yeah. You, the moment the cheese is out of the paper, paper, by the way, is the best way to keep the cheese, food paper, because it breathes. The moment you put the, your cheese out uh, of the, the paper, it will tr start to oxidate a little bit. So the flavors won't be the same. It will dry out quite fastly. Put that 20 minutes okay. uh, before you eat it. Great. So wrap your cheese in baking paper or food, yeah, yeah. wax paper, yeah. and store it in the fridge. You can use food paper for sure, but bee wax also, uh, yeah, it's good. It's good. It's not good for meat or fish, but for for uh, cheese, it's great. It's great. Yeah. And then some cheese tasting, because yeah. I mean, I am going back with a hell of a lot of cheese, and I'm going to do an evening with friends. What should we be doing when we are tasting some cheese? Take your time. Mm -hmm. That's the first rule. Mm -hmm. People are hungry. They want to. Okay, let's go. And no, if you want to respect the product and the, the work of the producers, uh, it's good to look, to use your five senses. Look at the cheese. It gives you indication on the texture, on the rind. You see a lot of different colors. Um, with experience, you will maybe memorize all this indication and think in advance. And then you get to smell the cheese. But smell the cheese means smell the middle of the cheese and smell the rind. Most of the time you have two smells, uh, different smells. It gives you indication, for example, the saint is really like uh, raw dough in the middle and mushroomy as a, a, a dirt cave, a natural cave, or like walking in the, the wood on the rind. And then you get to taste the paste for the all, all the, the sensation like saltiness bitterness and things like that the texture okay um and the rind as well it's also important to taste the rind you may dislike it but you may be in love with it so in most of the cheeses if you do so you will see that you have three cheeses in one the rind the heart of the cheese and the combination of both and um, it's really important. And also the last thing is to, to do what I call the back smell. That is to say to inhale a little bit of air with your mouth and exhale with your nose. That will bring all the animal flavors um, back to your nose after tasting, after chewing for a few seconds. I love to do that. It's really important for me. Yeah, I love the idea of you've actually got three in one. Um, we finished today actually with yeah. this fabulous workshop um, making different recipes mm -hmm. 
and Charlotte, um, it's mm. at a place in Lyon, um, asked us if we were a cheese, what would we be? What would you be if you, of all the French cheeses, if Francois was a cheese? A goat cheese. A goat cheese. A goat cheese. It's, it always ba go back to your childhood. Your entire life is based on that, even for the food, okay? So my dad was a good farmer. The first smells I had in my memory are the, the intense, and some people say stinky smell of uh, a goat farm. I love that smell. Every time I go to a goat farm, I feel home. So it will be a goat cheese for sure. <laughs> what about you? I choose Mondor. Mondor. Okay. Christmas time. Yeah. I just, I love the shape of it. I love the texture, the creaminess. Um, so yeah, I've got, it's gold and I've got a heart of gold. <laughs> <laughs> So Davina, what kind of cheese are you? Um, but I'll broaden the scope if you like, it does not have to be French cheese. I was not prepared for this question, <laughs> but I think I would probably be a goat's cheese of some kind. I'm not fussed about which one, uh, just soft and creamy and a little bit tart. So like Francois, he'll love you. <laughs> so wait, did you forget to ask him the nourish question? Of course not. Okay. <laughs> My daughter, of course, yes. first. Yeah. But what nourishes me as a cheesemonger is the hope that we can uh, help the people that are working in the, the cheese in industry. And um, that what I'm doing at my humble position is useful. Mm -hmm. if, if it's not, I change. I change my, I think I, I change my job. Okay, yeah. <laughs> and you are humble. I mean, you... It's unbelievable because you're actually so knowledgeable and so well accredited, but to think that you're still humble. Yeah, but and you are. You know. I, I I don't save lives, you know. I just bring I just bring a little bit of fat in it. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the good part. <laughs> yes, it is. You'll find a link to Francois' Instagram handle in our show notes, so you can follow him and his amazing cheese adventures. This episode was brought to you by Spinneys and is hosted by me, Tiffany Eslick, and Davina Device. We're produced by Chirag Desai. You can follow Spinneys on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok for more. And also visit us at spinneys.com, where you can shop for fresh produce and a variety of local and exclusive products. We'll be back next week with a whole lot of chocolate. See you then.